Wait, John Wayne Goosey? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Come for the history, stay for the stupidity. <laughs> We're off to a good start. You already unplugged the headphones. I got it, I got it. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you good to go now? Huh? Yeah, you, I'm you good? good? I'm okay. good. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. The podcast that is decidedly more fun than uh, Saddam Hussein's first arbitrary punishment meeting. I've been watching. I've been watching a documentary about how to be a tyrant on Netflix. <laughs> about to say, like, is the jury still out on that? Like, do we need to like run a Twitter poll? I, and yeah, we might actually have to. I don't know if people think we're that fun, but could you imagine if we lose? <laughs> we lose to Saddam Hussein. <laughs> that would be a bad start. And we have like fifteen Twitter followers too. Not not a good look. of all of just like our best pals. They just sell us out. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and joining me as always, I have Evan Roosh with me. What up? And joining us today, we have another new special guest. We got our good buddy Drew Schrader here to join us. Woo! <laughs> Snaps for Drew. He is back. Hey, everybody. Another uh, person we're pulling up from our roster of best pals to essentially just compliment us the entire time. Oh, yeah. You know, we got we got some good buddies that we can keep pulling from the list of. So you could call me a big time uh, grade school rival. Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> good old times. Me and Drew playing soccer against each other, just talking at half field, not playing the game. But you know, me just getting my butt kicked down in basketball by all the <laughs> David Star kids. And ironically, <laughs> Drew's uh, mascot was the Suns. So Ooh. you're just a natural born loser. <laughs> Bobby, 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 Bobby. <laughs> yeah, so Bucks one and six. The parade was today as the on the day we're recording this. So the three of us had the uh, luxury of going down to the Deer District to watch the game with a few other buddies of ours and the entire city of Milwaukee. Yeah, man. It was amazing. That was, was honestly a once in a lifetime experience. Just incredible. Yeah. Just seeing all those, uh, that many people just all coming together just for the same thing. You know, I don't know. It hasn't been like that in a while. So that yeah. was really cool. They estimate, I saw a Twitter it was over. tweet. It was like 100,000 yeah. people yeah. in the Deer District and around the Deer District. That's insane. A hundred. <laughs> thousand yeah i don't i don't know how you can really call a small market after seeing some of the response for the final series just how much support everyone gave to yeah. the team like it's insane oh, it was such an entertaining series like oh yeah every game was down to the wire every game like had just incredible moments that me and my biased opinion will always remember oh, oh and yeah. like just seeing the clock hit zero and watching the confetti and fireworks go off and a hundred thousand people just screaming at the top of their lungs like yeah that was nuts honestly i teared up a little bit oh yeah well, i thought i was gonna tear i thought i was gonna cry a little bit i know it's just it was it's so cool seeing all these people that you can tell have waited for this for mm -hmm. so long because i'm gonna be honest like i wasn't a huge bucks fan before the past like five years or so yeah but once i started following them i did start like actually following them right and so it's it's cool for my perspective to see but i can't imagine people like our our buddy teddy he's been like the biggest bucks <laughs> fan that i know for like 15 20 years yeah. and we ran into him downtown after the game and that was the most excited i've ever seen him in my entire life and i've known him for almost 20 years right so i think we each got socked in the chest a couple times oh yeah <laughs> man's just so excited he had to give us the old one too yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
wearing his homemade crop top saying bucks and six always that was amazing yeah, yeah that was such a cool experience so i'm really glad that we got mm -hmm. to do that and shout out to our buddy cody's mom for driving us down there and oh, picking us up honestly saint. a saint <laughs> the biggest clutch move in the world <laughs> Oh my gosh! And the amount of patience she had for like picking us up oh, that yeah. night, like, oh yeah, just trying to. We're on Sixth Street, <laughs> huh? It's I like, can't get to that street. It's closed <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah, we're on Sixth and Juno. Oh, yeah, yeah, the closed off road. Like, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, man, it was just and like during the game too. It was honestly just insane. Except I, I don't know. If, I think you were kind of away from me. I had a guy standing by me. He asked me a question about every single play during the fourth quarter. <laughs> like there, there was like a foul, like just a regular foul happened. And he looked at me. He's like, oh, what happened? What happened? And like he was taller than me. So he had a great view of the screen. He could see everything. And he kept on looking at me, like asking me questions like, what's a technical foul? What? what? I'm like, what are you <laughs> yeah, where have you doing been? <laughs> here? For Like not saying they shouldn't have been there. I'm just like. You pick now to like yeah, get right. interested in the Bucks, and like when everyone else was clapping, he was snapping. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, respect the reason why we do snap is so we don't destroy the audio, yeah, like on the podcast. But I don't know, he might have blown out somebody's ears if he didn't snap. <laughs> no, shoddy <laughs> snapping. <laughs> But yeah, there's like that period in the third quarter where the screen that we were watching on went out for probably like a good five minutes, which. That's just not acceptable during a game six finals game where it's like down to the wire. You got back in five minutes. Jacob, no. Jacob came in in the clutch. No, I, like when the screen out. went out, like during oh, the game. Gotcha, gotcha. And yeah. so I was like the only person around that had reception. And I yeah. somehow was able to pull the game up on my phone and I started watching it on my phone. So I just had a group of people huddled around me and my little phone watch, yeah. trying to watch the game. And every time it would buffer, everyone would be like, no. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dude, those um, barricades just did not stand a oh, chance. So for no. everyone that obviously wasn't there, there were just a bunch of barricades like around the area just to kind of corral people a little bit, like create a little walkway in case there was an emergency. Those didn't work. They lasted for maybe up until like five minutes before the game actually started, and yeah. then they were not of any use. Well, they did have a good use as dance floors. Yeah, that is true. So people took the barricades and like were essentially like crowd surfing them and like people would hop on top of them and just start dancing like in between peer like timeouts like during commercial breaks because they would play some really loud music just like oh get yeah people hyped. had a full dj on one of the stages and everything yeah. every light pole in the city had uh, about one or two kids climbing yeah. on it the one dude was wearing like full cubs attire yeah. and everyone was, was just throwing shit at him, beers at him. Beers at him. after the first time because he was the first one to get up on the pole and everyone's just booing him. And I'm like, well, at least he's going to get kicked out now. T not 20 minutes later, he's up on a different pole. Yeah. Same guy. I'm like, how the hell is he still in here? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it was wild. But yeah, I somehow made it to and from the bathroom through the crowd. And again, <laughs> what, 100,000 people. <laughs> yeah, it was probably 25 minutes. I left like with four minutes to go before the half. because I was like, all right, I'll leave now. Everyone will be like moving around at halftime. And then I'll just get back in. And it kind of sort of worked, but I got yelled at at least like four times on the way back. <laughs> then I found a group of like five people that was weaving through the, like, the side by the barricades in front of the stadium. And so I just followed them and they made a path for me almost all the way to you guys. And then I was like, okay, I can, I can push through the rest of the way. And I did because I 
spotted Austin Keys and our, our buddy who's been on here a couple times. He's like six seven. Yeah. So I could just see his head above the rest of the yep. people. Yeah, I made the awesome decision to uh <laughs> plop myself right behind him for the whole fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't get to see much of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, overall just great time though. I was honestly shocked you made it back though. Like, when you said that, I know like, you. You didn't see me for like the whole third quarter because I. Yeah. You moved up further than up where I was, and you turned around like halfway through the fourth, and you're like, "Where did you come you, from?" Yeah, <laughs> I was so shocked. Like, how did you make it back? Oh, it was. I cut in front of like at least twenty people at the porta potties, but. <laughs> Power hey, move. We, we did it. I have the pot of God and anime <laughs> on my side. <laughs> so I just literally held it from like six to eleven. So props to you. I was too scared to even try. And it. I was like, it's either I go now or I'm not gonna go, or I'm gonna have to try and like pee in a bottle or something. But I was the guy who peed in the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> the Work, poor worked soul. to moderate success. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the poor soul that kicked that over. Oh yeah. I saw the whole crowd uh, charge the police, and they they busted through. Yeah, with and, the barricades. Yes, yeah. and that's that was like I feel like that was the original push. Yes, remember that when we were yeah, because that was crazy. It was like a a concert right before the main band comes on, like yeah. the lights go off and everyone just pushes forward. That's basically mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah, and then the post game celebration went to a bar. I don't know if we can say their name on the podcast, but just. Boogied like crazy. And oh, it was so much fun. Like, dance like there was no cares in the world. Yeah. Oh, honestly celebrated like I won the freaking Larry O'Brien. Yeah. It's I, like four years ago, if you would have asked me to go out and like dance on the dance floor and stuff like that, I'd have been like, nah, but I've grown more comfortable and just like doing whatever the hell I want. So I just had such a blast out there. It was so much fun. I love that journey for us. Yeah. Love that for me. But yeah, uh, overall, great time. Go Bucks! Great for the city of Milwaukee. It's just, you love to see it. Yeah, and people don't talk about, like, there was a huge economic boom, like, in Milwaukee. Like, old bars and restaurants that just, oh, like, yeah. did not make money, <clears throat> excuse me, did not make money, like, the last year and a half. Yeah. Just got so much money, which is, like, awesome, because that's such a cool place to just gather, not even just for the Bucks, but for, like, concerts. Well, just everything. We talked about it a couple times, just how much the Bucks have changed the landscape of downtown now. Completely just different by being oh. be like keeping Giannis and mm-hmm. going to the final or going to the playoffs the past three, four years or whatever it's mm-hmm. been. It's just we we have an entirely different landscape down there that people can take advantage of now. It's kind of insane how much a sports team can do that for a city, <laughs> a right. sports team that was almost on its way out too. Yeah. So. The, yeah. It just was almost sold, well, not sold, but like almost moved. Which, that oh, sucks. God bless Herb Cole for that one. Yeah, huge. The uh, for people that don't know, that was the he bought it in like the sixties, seventies. He bought the team. Yeah, something like that. I could be way off because no he owned idea. it for twenty nine years, so you, maybe I'm off. You know more than I do about this. So. Maybe it was like the eighties, then bought by New Orchard. Anyway, go Bucks, go Bucks, go. <laughs> Box and six. Yeah, Box and yeah. Ammer effing six. Can't think of a more deserving person to get that MVP than Giannis. Just oh my. what a good guy. I was kind of happy right? he uh, missed the last free throw. Yes. They got exactly points. 50. Yep. Nah, and orders cool. 50 chicken nuggets. Like, oh, yeah. That <laughs> was awesome. <laughs> so great. What a cool cat. But anyways, that's oh, yeah, history. <laughs> en- enough about that. We just wanted to talk about it because it was it was something that we'll probably never get to experience the same way like that again. So, I mean, 
first time they've won it in Milwaukee. So mm-hmm. definitely it's literally a once in a lifetime thing. First championship parade since 1957 in the city of Milwaukee. Let's go. When it was the Milwaukee Braves, not even the Brewers. Yeah. <laughs> and they won it. So the Bucks won it uh, in the 70s, but they just didn't have a parade, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, they uh, were talking about that in the news today. And they didn't win it at home either. They won on a road game. Yeah, against the Baltimore Pistons. No idea. When there was an NBA team in Baltimore, essentially. Yeah, so go Bucks, go. Bucks in six. Congrats. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, I suppose we should get on with our, our normal regularly scheduled programming so drew are you ready for your first round of trivia i am all right do you want to start us off or would you like one not of us really to go first? but i'll 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 start it all, all right all right. Mm-hmm. all right all right well since the bucks took the championship i did a little bucks uh trivia question i did a little bucks trivia question um all right, what do you guys do? A, B, C, D type thing? Yeah. Or, well, if, I usually if, do. or if you're Evan, it's one, oh, one, two, one three, two, A, B. Yeah, one, yeah. two, B, F. <laughs> yeah, umlaut gets in there, too. Yeah. All right, so I'm just going to go with uh, what was the Bucks' original name going to be? The Milwaukee Bats? The Milwaukee Raccoons? <laughs> the Milwaukee Robins? Or the Milwaukee mosquitoes. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> the mosquito is like the national bird of Wisconsin. Right. So yeah. oh, man. Those things suck. Yeah, I kind of hope it's the raccoons so that we could be the Milwaukee trash pandas. But... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I this is tough. Those know. names all suck. Holy yeah. cow! <laughs> I'm gonna go with Milwaukee bats. I was gonna go with that as well but i think i'm gonna up our chances of one of us getting it right sure sure there we go and i'm gonna go with the milwaukee robins uh all right well jacob you were right yeah <laughs> finally it's been like three weeks since i've gotten one right <laughs> jiminy christmas that is such a bad name <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound too great. I mean, none of those would have been good. So no. I, I guess Rob Robin was probably the best out of those options, but yeah, like Milwaukee. Well, Rob. I made those up, so yeah. But <laughs> still, I mean, they fit the criteria of that one. I mean, you got me. Yeah. All right, Ev, you wanna you wanna follow that up? Sure. So, <clears throat> my question for you guys: How did Alexander the Great? Solve the puzzle of the Gordian Knot. A little background. The Gordian Knot was actually foretold that whoever solves it. So essentially it was this, imagine a huge ball of yarn, except it was very thick rope and all twisted in a knot, essentially. And whoever, it was foretold that whoever untied this knot would eventually go on to rule the world. And if you know Alexander the Great, Got pretty he got close. Damn close. He got pretty close. <laughs> Dude, a nosebleed took him out. Like that. Wait, no, that's Genghis Khan. I think he was poisoned. It's up in the air. Yeah. Just because we don't. All I remember have the is autopsy. something about elephants, or right. <laughs> like he literally went from Macedonia all the way to India. Yeah. Insane. Macedonia is like not a big country. Like even back then, they don't call him the Great for nothing. That's true. It's like Alexander the eh. The meh. Yeah. But anyway, option A, 
he cut it with a sword. B, he lit it on fire. C, he tied it up to two horses. Or D, he stabbed it with a spear. Mm, gosh, those first two sound like something I would have done. Yeah, <laughs> just lit, like light a match and toss it on there and be like, well, yeah. it's solved. I wonder how this man would have handled a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> Take all the stickers off and put them on the right spot. Yep. I'm going the sword one. You're going with option A. He cut it with a sword. Sounds cool. I think I'm going to (laughs) go. What? (laughs) I don't. Nothing. Just the way that you were like, I. (laughs) 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 Um, I'm going to go. I'm gonna go with the horses one. Ooh. The horses one. So Drew in his Let's first go. Nice. question. <laughs> so oh, Alexander man. the Great in a essentially a fit of I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> took a sword and cut it until he could find like an actual untangling point. So he cheated. So yeah. maybe that's why he didn't uh, make it all the way to the entire world. Yeah. But again, got dang close. Hey, you know, sometimes you just got to cheat the system. Work smarter, not harder, right? <laughs> That's actually when that phrase was invented, yeah. No way. <laughs> <laughs> what, you don't believe our random bullshit trivia? Mm-mm. Yeah. All right. Well, mine is somewhat related to what we will be talking about today. Oh, boy. So, how many victims are credited to Jack the Ripper? <clears throat> A, mm-hmm. five. B, Nine, C, 11, or D, 14? It is five. Going five, Drew. I'm doing the higher ones. Uh, what were the 11 or 14? Yeah, it was five, nine, 11, or 14. I want to go 14 here. Okay. One more. Evan, you are correct. It oh, was five. On. Bada boom. <laughs> Jack, is... Jack wasn't too good. <laughs> That he was good at what he did, but he just didn't do. He he was yeah. more of a quantity over quality, or quality a over quality. quantity. Yeah, I had yeah. that backwards. Who did he kill? So he had he. They're called the canon, canonical five. Is the ones that are mm. typically credited to him. There's a lot of people like the Scotland Yard believes that it was nine, hmm. but typically it's credited with five. So who knows? No, I mean it happened in the 1880s or whatever it was. So. Really, you no way to find you out. Must have knew that one. Ev. I did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Kind of crazy that like, I don't want to say it was only five people because obviously that's very terrible for those women. But he's just like the most. I want to say probably the most infamous serial killer. Just like you know the name of Jack the Ripper because he was like the first. He was the first. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't put up like Bill Walton numbers. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, the ways that he did the crimes that he did are just ridiculously brutal. So there's a reason why everyone remembers him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah, the area that he operated in was just such a terrible place to be. (laughs) Just, like, Whitechapel at that time of the world was just the worst place in the world, I would say. (laughs) Not a fun time. Bad times. I don't remember who it is. There's I think there's a comedy or a, a comic that does a bit about... Jack, like going on a Jack the Ripper tour, and he's like, Oh, and let's believe that Jack the Ripper killed five people. And he's like, Only five? You can go to Wisconsin and someone's killed five people in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> he's got to look for the teardrop. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but yes, 
uh, as I said, that is somewhat related to what we will be talking about today. So we are actually going to be covering our first, I believe, our first serial killer on the podcast. So it's taken us 26 episodes, but I, I believe this is the first one we've what about those two crazy officially covered. That you uh, covered, Jacob. Oh, episode one. <laughs> Look at this guy listening oh, to old are. episodes. <laughs> I've been here from time, the start. <laughs> talk about first time, long time. Wow. Yep. But yeah, I think this is the first one. But we're going to be talking about the uh, the Yorkshire Ripper, not Jack the Ripper today. But he he did derive his name from the good old Jack. So we'll be getting into him and talking about some of the very terrible things that he did and how much of a giant asshole this guy was <laughs> and i know a great guy <laughs> yeah terrible human and before we before we get officially into it drew i know you're a big true crime guy you've listened to quite oh, a few yeah. podcasts and oh, watched yeah. some documentaries and stuff so like is this a part of history that you like to kind of dally yeah. yourself yes in? yes i love the true crime stuff oh. i just get addicted to it yeah it's pretty easy to <laughs> like i just want to solve all the mysteries and <laughs> I don't know. Is there any other stuff from history that you really like to... Because we kind of just ask our guests. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know. Not really. I <laughs> just whatever pops up. wasn't a big school up. guy myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the... Oh, little little backstory. So Drew and I were in the same history class in high school, and we had to do a little song about oh, that was cool. a, a topic. We, oh, we so kicked ass I, in I that. I think ours was Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and we was, did a, a... Is that what it was? And, no, it was... Uh, or what did we do? Some it was general, dude. It was some, you, it was, something we had to make a song for, and we did uh, 1985 by Bowling for Soup and rewrote all the lyrics. Oh, we were in men's choir at the time, so oh, Woo, yep, we aced that. Absolutely killed it. <laughs> so, yeah, that that goes back to how that how was, long Drew and I have been. <laughs> okay, that was my favorite history class. <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> Shout out Mr. Walls. Yeah, hey. cool guy. Okay, so. Cool guy. Better hair. <laughs> that stuff is fake. <laughs> Watch him just like for some reason listen to this. He's going to come beat your ass. <laughs> so just a disclaimer, this is kind of a larger topic because we want to cover all of the victims from this guy just because they all deserve to be talked about and remembered. So depending on how long this episode goes, we may need to split this into two parts. So... Just putting that out there now, and obviously we're going to be talking about a serial killer, so it's going to be some pretty brutal subject matter, so if it's not something you like to listen to or hear about, then maybe this isn't the episode that you want to listen to, but just putting that out there now before we get into it, because it's not going to be fun, but we'll try and make some <laughs> make some jokes in there just to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. But if we were able to make some jokes about the uh, Red Famine? Yeah. Uh, I, I know. We got this We've one. covered some pretty... Pretty jovial topic matter lately. I mean, who is we? Because <laughs> dog episode. <laughs> oh yeah, talked about what two presidents dying, yep. a, a genocide. Yep. <laughs> nice light-hearted stuff, right, Drew? Oh yeah. Honestly, that's just history. It honestly. But all right, let's 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 get into who this guy was. So the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter uh, William Sutcliffe. He was born on June 2nd, 1946 in Bingley in the UK to a working class Catholic family consisting of his father, John Sutcliffe, and mother, Kathleen Francis Sutcliffe, also known, her last name is also listed as Coonan, which I don't know if she decided to go by that later on or if that was her maiden name, but 
Peter would also later use that name when he was in prison because this guy was a full-on mama's boy. Well, yeah. he, he cl- everyone that talks about him says he clung to his mother's side. He was uh, a very small child when he was born, and he never really was into like sports or anything like that, so he just kind of hung out by his mom. Even when he had younger siblings, he was always the one right there next to her. So, Wasn't he the polar opposite of his dad as well? Yep. Like his, uh, sorry if you're going to talk about this, but like his dad was like very outspoken, visited bars. Did he visit the old nightly ladies as well? I can't imagine that he wouldn't have. So Right. So, I mean, just complete opposite of, you know, his dad. Yeah. And everyone that talked about his father said he was a well-liked guy in the community. And yeah, like you said, Peter was just not like him at all. He was shy. He was quiet. He preferred reading to playing sports. And this uh, apparently did not go over well with his father because reports from his siblings and other people who knew what the family life was like claim that their father drank a lot and would there sometimes sometimes take it out on the children and <laughs> and on um, their That's mother. Yeah. <laughs> As the Joker once said, my father was a drinker. <laughs> So oh, damn, that was good. <laughs> kind of creepy. That was good. So yeah, that I think it literally, like almost as a quote, some one of the children said that about their father. Yeah, it was like one of the brothers. I yeah, think. one of the yeah. younger brothers. So not the ideal family life to grow up in. And no. since this is our first serial killer that we're covering, it's it's a pretty recurring theme for most serial killers that one or both of the parents are pretty terrible people to them. Yeah. Just family problems. You know? Yeah, not the best family lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but one instance in particular that a lot of the things mm-hmm. that I read pointed out was that there was a night where they were staying at a hotel and the their father confronted their mother about having an affair that he believed she was having and had this huge blow-up argument with her in front of all of the children and got violent with her and most people believe that that kind of informed how peter would view women from then on and infidelity this is an intolerable act and should be met with violence and that women shouldn't be deserving of affection if they're going to be acting that way so what was she doing that he just believed that she was having an affair oh oh yeah yeah, yeah. and being a drinker, I'm sure he just kind of flew off the handle at some small little thing. So, mm-hmm. kind of just gets back into that nature versus nurture. Exactly. Debate. It's just like, as a kid, you see, like, you do what your parents do and, like, you respond how they respond, essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously not the case for everyone, but yikes. Yeah. The, we've mentioned it before. There's plenty of people that have had terrible childhoods and grew yeah. up to be fine people. Awesome people. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's not completely on that aspect of it it mm-hmm. some people are just going to be inclined to worse things than other people but i guess it it all depends on the person so but once he got into secondary school he was bullied a lot because he was so quiet and he was as i said he was a small <clears throat> child when he was born so i'm assuming he was just smaller than everyone when he was growing up so yeah. easy to easy to get picked on <laughs> but his father said about him that whenever he would go see him at the schoolyard that he was just kind of off in the corner on his own he didn't really have too many friends it wasn't like he objected to being at school it was just that he didn't really make a conscious effort to fit in 
at least. Well, he got bullied. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. so I he, he uh, well, and, I wouldn't want to play with those guys either. Right. Yeah, exactly. they're jackasses. <laughs> so he he did make more of an effort kind of uh, later on because he did have a truancy violation where he just stopped going to school and he, his parents got notified after I think it was two weeks and he they kind of said look you gotta you gotta start going back to school and after that he did try and fit in a little more he started playing more sports he started weightlifting and bodybuilding which apparently according to some sources that he, they said that he did a good job and he actually got in pretty good shape from what they said so i mean at least he committed to something for a little bit or uh i was just thinking about that are truancies like real or is that just a fake thing <laughs> it's a real thing okay <laughs> if you just if you just don't go to I school think, or just yeah, leave I know, school but i just hear people like "Ooh, you might get a truancy like, yeah. what I mean, have, have you show up late, like from a dentist appointment, yeah, yeah, walking yeah. with like a bag of McDonald's? You're you're like one time that you're not there. It's just like, like mm. I think you're gonna have to do a little more than that to get a truancy. Right. <laughs> the teacher's just sitting there, like with a whistle, about to like give you a truancy, like hit you with like the technical. Like. <laughs> Has the ruler out? <laughs> <laughs> what is this like? like an 1890s like classroom? Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, after even after this, he had like he re- everyone said he really had no interest in girls in school. He was just too shy to talk to any of them and didn't really put out an effort. So Feel the rest, <laughs> yeah. So rest of his school life pretty quiet. And he it it said that he kind of purposely did bad in most of his classes. Not not that he did terribly enough to fail or anything. It's just that he didn't try and do well because he didn't want to stand out. Because he didn't yeah, want he was that. A, he wasn't a stupid kid. He was no, smart. Yeah. I think he just uh, stopped uh, caring about school because everyone was bullying him. Yeah, and he just yeah, because he didn't mm-hmm. want the attention to be on him mm-hmm. after everything that he had been through, and I'm sure it just didn't reflect well on him personally to try and stand out after everyone was already picking on him. So isn't that something we kind of see pretty common with serial killers? Like they may not have like a quote-unquote smart job, but they're technically, like, almost geniuses. Oh, like, yeah. The way they elude police, the way they're so, like, organized and almost methodical to a T, especially with this guy, he had the same process. That's true for some, but yeah. I think a lot of the times you'll watch these documentaries and they'll say, he was the most clever man in, of the in the entire world at the time because he was evading police. But a lot of the times it's just because he's getting he's stupiding his way or they're stupiding their way into doing something that's yeah. somehow smart mm-hmm. in the long run. True. Because uh um what's his, the Green River Killer, I can't remember his actual oh. name, but uh he had an IQ of like 67, which is very low so I think you get that with like putting your name on the paper and so he but he had like the largest body count in the u.s for a, a while and wow. so it's just it, i listen to that yeah so sometimes it's just it works out that you're somehow managing to do the right thing at the right time but yeah i mean this guy wasn't he wasn't a genius level or anything he just was an average guy and that's pretty much what everyone will say about him once he gets caught is he looks normal yeah too. he's just a normal looking dude who just mm-hmm. minds his own business and does what a normal guy would do yeah <laughs> except for all this stuff on the side yeah. <laughs> so after he got out of school he took on some menial jobs he didn't really do anything too noteworthy he tr- uh dropped out of an engineering apprenticeship he worked at a as a factory laborer and then 
Eventually, he got to being a grave digger. That's my favorite one. Yeah, seeing, <laughs> seeing that, I'm like, the irony. Yeah, honestly. well, this is where it started. Yep, so he would apparently work at the mortuary and rub down the bodies, and when he was digging the graves for people, he would regularly take trophies off the bodies, as right. people would call them. That's messed up. Like so they call them trophies. Yeah. yeah. So It's like just like a pinky finger. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So nothing good, and his coworkers would say that they would be super uncomfortable around him because he would regularly talk about necrophilia, which, Aww. do you guys know what that is? No, I just answered like mm-hmm. that. Because <laughs> <laughs> so necrophilia is the uh, fascination of sexual encounters with dead people. Don't you get a disease from that? You, you do. Yes. It's not a good nice. thing to do. I said you do very fast. Yeah. Let me back up. <laughs> yeah. Evan. Straight from science. I have <laughs> I've done research. Yeah. <laughs> so not not the most normal guy around town. Come on. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, well he didn't like actually practice it. He just talked about it with people oh. a lot, apparently, at at the work sites. Which okay. that's gonna make yeah. you not want to be around him. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine hanging out with a guy that just sees a dead body. And it's like, eh, how many beers? <laughs> <laughs> One out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> so, after all of these menial jobs, he eventually got his uh, long distance truck driving license and became a long haul truck driver. And I believe he was hauling tires and stuff. So. But shortly after that, he began his first ever relationship with a woman and his only true relationship in the sense of the word with a woman named Sonia Surzma, I believe it's pronounced. Yep. So this was his first ever girlfriend and they started dating on Valentine's Day of 1967 and seven years later in August, they got married. So he... Mer- met and married his first girlfriend, so at least he's got that going for him. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> yeah. Aww, they met on Valentine's Day. Aww. So cute. It's always just like, uh, I, I don't know, like he was somehow able to have a relationship with a woman, despite it's, the fact like he, in all sense of the word, like hated women. It's insane how <laughs> many serial killers have not one, but like multiple wives. At, over the course of the years, it's like, how do these people manage to make this work? I don't understand. Well, probably because they just don't want to take work home, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's all of these people that cover serial killers always say, oh, these guys are so charismatic. But I just feel like they're not. I just feel like they have really low standards and they just pick whoever they can get most of the time. Yeah. It's like whoever tolerates mm-hmm. them, and they're just like, well, I guess you're my wife now. Well, they just have two different personalities, you know? Yeah. John Wayne Gacy is a perfect example of that. Who's that guy? He was a... Uh... Oh, you mean John Wayne Goosey? <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but he was a serial killer that was working out of, like, Illinois, and he mm-hmm. had an entire family at home, and yeah. he, he just kept this... He was part of politics in town, and he was, like, on the the town council and everything but just behind the scenes he was a closeted gay and killed little boys so oh jeez yeah. boys come on yep that guy sucks <laughs> yeah none of these guys are good people <laughs> can't it be like grown ass men or something <laughs> you, you've heard it here first folks on the gems of history we do not stand for serial killers <laughs> serial killers are not okay yes if you're never mind <laughs> 
So him and Sonia did attempt to have children together, but Sonia had multiple miscarriages before she was finally informed that they would never really be able to have kids together. So they never actually had any children of their own, which... Wondering if that would have changed anything? I doubt it. Probably not. But who knows? I wonder if that almost enforced, like, his hatred of women, too. Like, he almost took, like, that out on these women then. Like, by extension. Or he just took it as a sign that something was wrong, that he needed to do something. If he had another purpose in life or something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's probably good that he didn't have children, because I can't imagine growing up the son of this guy. Yeah, oh, especially oh after, especially after how his father treated the family, I'm sure yeah. he probably would have ended up taking it out on his kids if he got angry or something. But was yeah. he mean to his wife? I don't I think. So. I, I don't think so. That. Which is weird because you would. I guess it's just part of that yeah. double life that you were talking about. It's just he wanted to mm-hmm. put up an appearance at yeah. home versus who knows. But Peter, even though he openly talked about how he hated infidelity and relationships would regularly visit red light districts and it's debated whether he actually participated with prostitutes actively or if he was more of a guy who just liked to watch from the sidelines and mm-hmm. just act like be a voyeur on everything but he apparently would visit the red light districts with his brother-in-law which is just the most that's awkward thing weird. i can think of in the world thing. oh my God, that's so <laughs> weird i can never I, like out of everyone that, that you can go with up. just that does not make <laughs> me feel comfortable <laughs> it's like when we talked about the men in black and albert bender lived with his father-in-law it's just, oh, that's, that's such right. a weird arrangement to have yeah. i don't but <laughs> eventually his brother-in-law stopped going because of how strongly peter would talk about not cheating on people and not cheating on his wife but then would actively go out and do these things in his sight, and it just kind of pushed him the wrong way. But so it's believed that one of these prostitutes that eventually he would get with either swindled him out of money or just didn't give him change for the money that he gave her, and that pretty much pushed him him off. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much pushed him over the edge. It's called a tipping asshole. (laughs) (laughs) This one little, it's just always this one little thing that just pushes these guys past that that cliff edge, and then Mm -hmm. there's no returning. It's just something so small, but that kind of just gave him this hatred of prostitutes because they didn't give his money back one time, so. Jeez. This guy's But a cashier doesn't, he's like, ah, (laughs) is what it is. Yep. So... Peter's first violent crimes began in 1969 when he attacked a prostitute with a stone that he had stuffed into a sock. And according to his friend, he left the van that they were sitting in, walked out of sight down the road, and came back a little time later, like out of breath. And he was like, we got to get out of here. And according to his confession later, he said that he went across the street and found this woman who her name is undisclosed but he said that he went across the street hit her in the head but when he hit her the sock the end of the sock broke and he gave up on it and ran away so lucky for this woman that didn't get any further than that but you can tell that this is his first time because he's still you can tell there's nerves there because he didn't keep going through with it after Mm -hmm. plan a failed 
But the police actually did track him down based on the license plate because the woman saw the plates and remembered them and reported it. But she didn't want to press any charges. So the police were basically at his house saying, you're a very lucky guy that this woman didn't want to pursue this any further. Probably because of the line of work she was in. Mm -hmm. She probably would have had something happen with her. Or, I mean, she probably could have asked for immunity just to help the, the police out. But who knows? So... This is just the first of the many lucky breaks that Peter Sutcliffe's going to have yeah. in his reign of terror. Yeah, it's honestly shocking. Like hindsight being 2020, the fact that like, she didn't go forward with charges. Like, who knows if she did, you know, maybe these women are still alive because, like, then he's maybe like more on like, like a higher tier of, you know, police watch list in these subsequent murders. He just knocked some brain cells out of her and she's never, <laughs> <Yeah>. never charged. <laughs> but it's... I, Which, I mean, like, again, with her line of work, it, yeah, you can't yeah. really... It's no, just such I a wouldn't. hard... It's just, I can't imagine being in that spot because you're doing what you have to to support yourself and possibly your family. <clears throat> but, and for most of these people, that's for most of these women, that's the reason that they're out on the streets doing this kind of work because they didn't have any other option because there wasn't many jobs available. But, yeah, it's just... All of these small missteps on the, the effort of the police that could have stopped this early on, it just gets really frustrating, and that's why there are so many people that didn't like the uh, the Yorkshire police after this event because they, they felt that they failed at a lot of turns. But Oh, yeah. So, after this, he stayed relatively quiet, and uh, he, he got an equipped-for-theft charge when he was found with a knife and a hammer on him but he never actually attacked anyone before they found him and he just got a fine and sent off but in july of 1975 six years after his original attack he attacked anna rogulski by striking her with a ball peen hammer and slashing her stomach with a knife <sighs> however she did survive because he was interrupted by something or someone and she she was able to make it to the hospital and recover. So still no murders on the record for him yet, but two assaults and two assaults that could have very well ended worse had someone else not intervened. Yeah, some lady started yelling, didn't she? Yeah, it was it was something like there was someone nearby that heard it and yeah. came out or there was car headlights or something. I don't remember specifically, but Similar to his attack on Anna, he assaulted Olive Smelt from behind with a hammer, and this time he slashed the back instead of the stomach, but was interrupted once again, and you can kind of already see that he's got his his M.O. forming with smashing people with a hammer and then <laughs> going afterwards with a knife to... Were these first uh, three just regular women off the street, or who were they? Um, I didn't really see... I didn't. I, the first one was a prostitute okay, for sure. Okay. That was that one I know for sure was. I don't know about Anna and Olive. I think Olive was as well, but the next one was not because he attacked a 14 year old girl named Tracy Brown, and she was hit on the head as well, but not stabbed or slashed, and she also survived. And I guess I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but for for sources for this, I. You, we use Murderpedia, uh, Criminal Minds Wiki, 
and there was an all that's interesting article and then also the uh, documentary on Netflix called The Ripper and Tracy Brown is actually interviewed current day in that documentary and she talks about her attack and how she was hit in the head from behind and she survived I don't remember if she got if he got interrupted again or what but she actually remembered what he looked like and later on once he is apprehended she remembers seeing his face and all these memories flash back in and she feels all of the anger and hatred that she had bottled up towards him so it's it's pretty crazy to think of these people that can still remember having something like this happen to them i think i saw in the research like the survivors just i mean they all went through like severe bouts of depression almost that survivor's remorse as well yeah so it's like sure they got off with their life but it wasn't an easy nope, life your, after that. Your life's never going to be the same mm-hmm. after something well, I'd like I'd be this. looking behind my shoulder all the time. Yep. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> so he had a, a string of attacks going before his actual first murder, which is kind of a trend for serial killers, is they, they have this trend of escalation where it gets mm-hmm. more progressively uh, brutal and, and just unhinged. So his first... Actual fatal attack came on October 30th of the same year, 1975. He struck single mother of four, Wilma McCann, twice with a hammer before stabbing her 15 times in the neck, chest, and abdomen. Jeez. And sources say that the reason why he decided to get this brutal this quickly was that he had, he solicited her for sex and... He apparently could not get an erection, and she laughed at him and called him useless. And so he said, hold on, I got to go back to my car to get something. Grabbed his hammer and his knife, came back, and did what he did. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, but it seems that's, that's also another pretty big theme with male serial killers is a lot of them just have impotency problems. And that just enrages them because they can't have a normal sexual life or they figure out that the only thing that allows them to get sexually aroused is murder, which is just weird. Such a a twisted (laughs) way to live your life. But I mean, (laughs) something gets mixed up in their head at some point and it just happens that way. Yeah. Wires get crossed up there and (laughs) yeah, it's not good. Because he obviously wasn't completely impotent if him and his wife had some pregnancies. Yeah. They didn't come to fruition, but Mm -hmm. so I don't know. It's just something about it that I don't know. It's it's not good. (laughs) But they did find traces of semen at the crime scene after the the crime, but they just didn't have. I didn't know that. Yeah, they just didn't have the possibility of DNA testing at it. It was still over 10 years out before they would use it effectively to solve crime. Like the, uh, I think you brought this up on an earlier episode, that John Mulaney skit, where they're like an old time yeah. crime scene investigation. It's like, there's blood everywhere. There's been a murder. There's blood and like semen. It's like, Ew. Clean it up. <laughs> Quick question. Yeah, they just like didn't have the tech. Wasn't that, uh, wasn't the first chick found in like her backyard? Yeah. 150 feet away from her, so uh, her apartment that's, or that's house. That's where she, uh, she does her job. Well, she was just out. Like, I think she was hanging up clothes after she had gotten home from work. At, oh. at, like early in what, the morning. Do you follow her home? 
he must have and then oh. just he solicited her there on the spot and she was like well i guess i'm already i'm still here yeah so i might as well because she had a family of four that she had to try and feed so that was sad yeah it's, those kids were in or one of the kids was interviewed yeah, one in the of, netflix series yeah they interview one of his uh her sons and he talks about how everything affected the family and how he had to yeah. the police come to the door and say your mom went He's to heaven. heaven yeah yeah i think one of the daughters then also uh took her own life just through you know, just again going back to that depression and yeah, it affects a lot of people. Yeah, it it doesn't happens. just even some of the people that survived that I'll get into later. Just it ruined their family life because of how they they had to deal with this. So this guy's a real big asshole. <laughs> so that was his first, his first actual murder. And since Wilma was labeled as a prostitute in the papers when they talked about this crime, it was largely like overlooked by people as just another unfortunate person who ended up dying at the hands of someone who was looking to get violent that night. And police had really no leads because, like I said, the, the DNA wasn't really a thing yet, so they didn't have the technology to do anything with that. And in the the Ripper documentary, they referred to one of the... Uh, police detectives refers to it as fish and chip news which it's i I never heard of it before but apparently that's a term that they use where the newspaper will be you that from two or three days after it airs people will largely forget about it and then they'll use that newspaper to wrap up people's fish and chips at the market to send Mm -hmm. them off with so he said that's basically all it was was just another headline that'd be forgotten after a couple days and, like, this is a terrible area, too, so I'm sure, like, probably not to this magnitude or, like, this violent of a murder, but I'm sure that happens plenty of times. Yeah, so, I mean, this was near the red light districts mm-hmm. of the area, so, I mean, there's a lot of prostitutes roaming the streets, and, I mean, the cops already view prostitutes poorly, even to this day. They're, they're known as what, in crime circles, referred to as the less dead, because they're not seen as a normal person which we'll talk about in a in a little bit it's just kind of sad how people didn't really care about this until it became closer to home Mm -hmm. so so next on the list we have a year hiatus from him and then he attacked 42 year old emily jackson in january of 1976 he uh she started at a pub with her husband and had left to go do her job out on the on the sidewalks and when she didn't come back to the pub her husband pretty much just assumed well she found someone to take home for the night and i'll see her tomorrow so he got a taxi home alone and the next morning they found her body in an alley in chapel town underneath a coat and he had hit her in the head with a hammer and stabbed her but this time he got far more brutal with it over 50 times he oh, stabbed her geez. with a knife and a ham and a, a screwdriver so why i don't know just why why any of this true yeah, right. uh but he also had positioned her body in this alleyway to she he put her legs out in front of her and had re- pulled up her her uh her leggings or her bloomers whatever it was and basically had set her up for whoever found her to 
be suggestively positioned, which is a big thing that I know uh, BTK, a bind, torture, kill, serial killer, he did that a lot with people that he had murdered. And I believe Jack the Ripper also did this with his victims. So it's just another parallel between Yorkshire Ripper and Jack the Ripper, which mm-hmm. will eventually where he gets his name from. Didn't he also like stomp on her thigh too, leaving a boot impression? Yep, that was their first real clue was that the, the boot impression was of a size 7 shoe. And that was kind of their first real lead after these the first two deaths. Yeah, when I heard a size 7, that's just like the <laughs> shortest. Like, Was he a short dude? Oh, he's, yeah. He must he's have just been. Like, he's, yeah, a, he's, he's a little guy. Yeah, yeah, he's not very big. Like, He's just a, a normal, like, probably yeah. like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, just a dude. Wow. But, so now, after this, after the, the trend of two prostitutes dying in a similar fashion, granted one far more brutal than the first, uh, they, they believe finally that they had a serial killer and one who hated prostitutes. So that was their, what they put out in the papers was there's someone out there, he's killing prostitutes, just like, if, be careful kind of thing. Like, not really anything noteworthy yet. So, in between his second and third murders, he allegedly attacked a woman named Marcella Claxton by hitting her once with a hammer, but she survived, and the attack was never officially related to him, as far as on the record goes, but it's pretty much attributed to him in most anything you read or anything you watch. Was this chick a prostitute, too? I believe so, yes. Yeah. At this point, if I was a prostitute, I would have got a job at McDonald's or something. But that's the thing is they talk to these women uh, when when they they ask them, like, why do you – they have a mother and daughter on the documentary, and she, they ask the mother, well, why do you allow your daughter to do something like this? And she's like, we got to make a living. There's The industrial boom was, like, pretty much, like, coming to an end, and, like, people were just – there wasn't many jobs available. It was mm-hmm. it was a tough time, especially in this area. So, um, so yeah, that was that was his seventh attack after two murders, or sixth, seventh, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on February fifth, though, in nineteen seventy seven, the body of Irene Richardson was found in a public park. She was struck three times with a hammer, and her skull was smashed, along with stab wounds on her neck, throat, and stomach. And this is another scene where the cops finally got another sort of clue, was that there was tire impressions left in the mud nearby. But tire tracks can only give you so much information when there's probably thousands of cars that have that tire on it. So, But, yeah, he's, he's... Taking small breaks right now in between his attacks, but as you you'll see as we go, he gets very sh- short on some of the time spans in between his attacks, which means he's getting more and more bold yeah. as he's getting let go. Yeah, he's just building like that confidence. Yeah, essentially, he, he just pretty much believes that if they haven't caught me yet, then I don't think they're going to kind right. of thing. Well, yeah, I would. I don't know. I feel like it'd get a lot easier after one or two. Right. So, a little over two months later, the body of 32-year-old mother of three, Patricia Atkinson, was found wrapped in blankets on her bed. Her skull had been smashed by four blows to the head, and her stomach was slashed six times, 
and police found the same bloody shoe print on her sheets matching the one found on Emily Jackson, thus linking the crimes together and proving that, okay, we do have the same guy doing this. And it's kind of crazy that he did this in her own place of living. Yeah. That's a a pretty bold thing to, I guess. What, did you just keep the hammer in the back pocket or what? Apparently she was just walking home and he followed her to the door. And then once she opened the door, hit her, walked in, finished the job and then left. So, but this is also reminiscent of the Jack the Ripper murders because it's his last murder. He murdered, uh, I'm going to forget her name now, but Mary Shelley, I believe, in her apartment and then left her on her bed. So at this point, people were obviously making the connection to the the Jack the Ripper crimes. And Peter got his name of the Yorkshire Ripper. This is where he was officially coined as the Yorkshire Ripper. And in June of 1977, only four months later... He decided to take a detour from his normal victims and attacked a 16-year-old girl named Jane McDonald. So she was out dancing at a bar in Leeds and left around 2 a.m. when Sutcliffe followed her and attacked her. He stuck to the same MO that he has been, hammer to the head and then stabbing them. And then he dragged her body into a nearby playground to be discovered the next day. Oh. No. So you can tell he's getting more and more bold in his... Yeah. Everything that he's doing. I can't imagine just taking your kids to like, hey, you want to go like fuck up some swings? And then there's just a dead 16-year-old. You just pull her out of the McDonald's ball pit? Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so this was, as I mentioned earlier, this was kind of where people started to pay more attention and it became national news was when this quote-unquote innocent girl had been discovered and got caught in the crossfire of this maniacal killer who was targeting prostitutes. Yeah, up to this point, people were like, oh, they're just kind of getting what they have coming to them in terms of the victims, because they just didn't understand that they're doing this to save their families. They just saw it as, oh, they're a whore, they're a prostitute. They deserve, essentially, in the words of documentary and some sources I looked at, it's like the public opinion was like, oh, they kind of deserve this. Yeah. And then it finally became a, like you said, a quote-unquote innocence, and then people get interested. Yep. It's, it's pretty sad. It, yeah, it's just sad. that, like I said, these are the less dead. People don't view them as important as, as, important as these. Is, yep. is this, sorry, did you say this is when like, national attention really got? So like, essentially the central government started paying attention to it as well. Basically, it, it, this is when it became like a national-wide news story. Before this, it was just in like, local papers and stuff. Yeah. So. The fish and chips? Yep, exactly. Were all his uh, kills up to this point in the same area? Yes. So he he was pretty much staying in the same area, and I believe, I don't remember if it was this murder or if it was the next one, but he eventually did move out of, because these are around Leeds and Chapeltown, I believe, and he eventually moved down to Manchester, which is a decent ways away. Okay. But that was his first one kind of out of his killing zone. And the reason that they didn't really know where he was going to strike is because they had instituted these highway systems relatively recently. So it made travel far more efficient for people if they wanted to do this. If you want to just hop on the interstate, travel south or north and 
go to a completely different area, do the same thing, and then come back home. And since he was a long-haul truck driver, his wife expected him to be out on the road for long hours at a time, so she confirmed any alibis later on that he would have, so... Have you guys seen Big Sky? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. What's that? I don't know. Uh, there's a truck driver in there. He's a killer. And there's a truck driver in there. He kills people and takes little girls for just sex trafficking and stuff. I don't know. Yikes. Oh, I, get God. Little, I get a little creeped out by some of the truck drivers. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. No. Yeah, always have like, always have an eye. Oh, yeah. Know. Yeah. Just based on, you know documentaries and shows mm-hmm. hey not all truck drivers my dad's oh yeah, yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> kidding. sorry jacob no, i forgot okay. about that okay. <laughs> no, hashtag not all truck kidding. drivers <laughs> <laughs> but no i know i know i've heard you talk about that i think it, it is a good uh what is it on uh hbo or something i don't know it was good abc all right recommendation from the gems of history podcast watch yeah Big Sky. Go watch Big Sky. <laughs> there you go it's addicting so after after Jane McDonald and once the story started getting more like national attention because it was in the national papers now, there was another attack on a woman two weeks after her murder uh, on a woman named Maureen Long. She was attacked but survived because for some reason Sutcliffe had to flee and didn't finish the job. And I believe this is the woman who had some sort of amnesia after the attack happened and she kind of couldn't remember details. She could remember up to the attack what happened, but she couldn't remember specific details after everything had, had transpired. So she couldn't really give them a super good description of what her attacker looked like and couldn't really help the police all too much. But Which I mean, like she took several bowls to the head and like all the survivors, I believe we're going to get to it, I believe some of them actually gave very detailed and accurate descriptions, like sketches even. Of what he looked like, which is honestly impressive considering they got hit in the head, so they were for sure concussed and honestly Maybe. had like brain damage. He had thick, dark black hair and oh, yeah. a big, burly this black guy, beard. This guy it looked was pretty, like an asshole. I, I, feel yeah. like, I feel like that's pretty easy to <laughs> yeah, this, remember. Everyone who is like interviewed about him in the documentary says, Oh, he was just a normal looking guy, but this guy looks like an asshole. Like, okay. <laughs> He looks like the kind of guy who would like walk into a club and be act like he was top shit. But I mean, yeah. I know that wasn't how he actually was. But, but he was he, five foot. He two. would dress in like white tuxedos <laughs> all the time and just like trim his hair and beard to perfection. Looks like, his head looked like a fucking rectangle. It does. Oh, oh yeah. my god! Okay. I can't unsee it. <laughs> I honestly can't unsee it now. This guy's an asshole. He deserves to be made fun of. Old rectangle head looking ass. <laughs> <laughs> so. After this attack, the next victim to be fatally injured was Gene Jordan, or John Jordan. I don't remember specifically how it's pronounced, but it's spelled G-E-A-N, so I think it's Gene. Yeah. Uh, she was 20 years old, and she was attacked on October 1st when she accepted a ride from Sutcliffe to sell her services to him. So they drove about two miles away to this wasteland kind of area by a cemetery, and Sutcliffe hit her in the head with a hammer 11 times before an approaching car interrupted him, and he had to leave. And this is where the cops get their next big clue, which they believe might be the the clue that will help them truly crack the case open. So he had paid with a five-pound note, that he gave to her and it was from his recent wage packet at work 
and it had a serial number on it. And all the bills have serial numbers that can be tracked, obviously. So he went back eight days later after there was no news about anyone finding the body. And he went to go look for her purse to try and find that bill so that he could take it back so that they couldn't fi- the police couldn't find it. But he couldn't find the purse, so just flew into a fit of rage, and he found a piece of glass and just went to town on this woman's face to the point where oh. she was so unrecognizable that they had to use her fingerprint to identify her. That's messed up. So, oh god, I didn't even see that in the research beforehand. Yeah, yeah. this it this is just such an obvious way to see that he has such an intense hatred towards these people mm-hmm. which is just so ass backwards because he's the one going to solicit them yeah and i don't it something is so mixed in his head that he thinks like okay i can go do this and then i can kill them because they're the ones selling themselves to me and i'm not the one doing anything wrong and there's just no it's just clear and obvious there's no remorse like that just like part of his brain just doesn't work like yeah i'm just thinking about like if i even just insult someone i'm like okay evan stop being a an ass and like i feel remorse on it obviously there's completely different things but like a lot of people even if just small things feel remorse on their actions that just is not apparent or existent in this guy not at all and like in all serial killers they just think like yeah like that's my job on earth i mean we'll get into it later with his conviction like his reasoning behind why he did it yeah um supposed reason suppose yeah. it i don't believe that's the real no anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves but yeah it's just like that part of their brain just isn't there yeah and the one of the detectives later when he's in prison and he interviews him to try and find out more information about any other crimes that maybe he didn't talk about originally he says it was so disturbing to see this normal looking guy come out and just not look remorseful when he was talking about this at all, and he he even said he almost looked proud of what he had done, which is just it's so disgusting. I like how he calls it uh, cleaning up the streets, like, yeah, like it was just his chore, like making the bed. Exactly, it's like, yeah, right, that's buddy. exactly how his mind works. Like he's like, make the bed, uh-huh. clean the dishes. That's just on his chore list. Kill a woman. Like, yeah, it's, it's a completely different mindset that normal people like us, assuming you two are normal. I hope yeah. after <laughs> we've two known each other this long, yeah. friendship. Yeah. I don't uh, do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't clean the dishes, what? <laughs> no, Taylor does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only one here that has any sort of significant <laughs> other. <laughs> yeah, right. So, what's love like? Yeah. Kimmy? <laughs> oh my, it's not bad. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, after the day he went back, her body was discovered, and the police did find the five-pound note on the scene and were able to trace the serial number, and they traced it down to the company that he did work for and interviewed over 5,000 employees, including Peter Sutcliffe, about the note, but he had an acceptable alibi that was confirmed by his wife, Sonia, and so they, they didn't really see any suspicious behavior from him at the time to tip them off that he was doing anything wrong, so... Oh, I did not know. So that. the alibi was sorry. That, uh, I didn't know he was still married at this point. Oh, he's married throughout his entirety of his crimes. Oh, yeah, that's that's really weird. Even I don't, like seven years after. Yeah, they don't divorce until like, yeah, like seven years or eight years after. Did it, she know about these? 
she had no idea until what do you think what did she think he was doing at night he was a long-haul truck driver he was gone for like really long hours with this one though wasn't it a like i keep on seeing the research something about like a family party Yeah, he he was like at a family party and she he arrived must have arrived right after this and he she just said yeah he was there how do you not get blood on you like at all or like have signs of like scratches or anything like that because he he talks about that he says like i didn't rise any suspicions from sonia because i would do all my own laundry and whenever i would get home i would throw my clothes in the wash right away and everything that like had any suspicious signs on it would have been like cleaned away by the Mm -hmm. time she would have noticed and i mean you think about it he's attacking these women from behind every time and hitting them in the head with a hammer so most of the time they're not going to be really either they're going to be knocked out immediately or they're not going to be any sort of situation to really fight back at that yeah. point, especially if he's getting on top of them right away and raining more blows down. So mm-hmm. that was very true. Jeez. So this guy was really just a gigantic coward. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just what a piece of shit. So after that, they, the police were getting thousands of calls. They had, Tons of filing cabinets getting filled up with tips on who this person who this person may have been. And a big tip kind of came when one of the other survivors of the Ripper, Marilyn Moore, she was able to give the police a better description. And this is kind of where the sketches started coming in. And the sketches are pretty spot on to what he actually looked like when you compare them to his actual appearance. And did the with the sketches, sorry to interrupt, did they have enough room on the paper to fit his giant ass rectangular oh, head. <laughs> it's funny because I think they actually do like cut his hair off at the top, so it's just they like, just ran out of room, just like his beard and stuff. So, but like ugly ass. If you look at it, it's like pretty insane how many details she was able to give to like compile into this sketch that was pretty spot on. Like mm-hmm. one of the police officers who actually interviewed him before he was caught said. I went to the chief and said, this guy's a dead ringer for the sketch. But we'll get into it later why they didn't do anything about it. But it's just so frustrating to see all of these missteps by Mm -hmm. the powers that be that let this guy go free for more years than he should have by far. Five years. Yeah. Like, that's an insane amount of time and an insane amount of women. Yeah. 13 women dead in five years by one man and multiple more attacked. Yeah, like nine. Yeah. So this was another step closer for the police, but sadly they're going to be a little more incompetent than we would hope, as we just mentioned. So he keeps going with his reign of terror, and the next killings would consist of two in the short span of 10 days. So 21-year-old Yvonne Pearson was found dead in a pile of rubbish, as they said in the documentary, underneath a sofa and was found by a passerby who saw her arms sticking out from underneath the uh, the pile of garbage. And she'd actually been there about two months before they Aww. actually found her body. And the one of the most disturbing things is they figured out that she had died on, I believe it was January 21st. And when they found her body, she had a newspaper stuck under her arm that was dated February 21st, exactly a month after the murder had occurred, which mm-hmm. means that he was going back to this body and pretty much taunting the police by putting this newspaper there, saying, like, you still haven't caught me. You've waited this long to find this one. 
sort of thing. That's so sick and twisted. I mean, uh, he probably just like sat on top of the couch and it, it's read the fucking paper. Like, sorry for the f word. It's just <laughs> so obvious how much more bold he's getting as he goes. Mm-hmm. It's crazy he didn't try to hide him more. Yeah, he, like he was a grave digger. Why didn't he just? Yeah, he didn't like bear. He, it's part ironically of, never dug a grave. It's part of his. <laughs> it's still part of his ego. Yeah. Though. It's just like yeah. he. Like he displayed the body for the second murder. He wanted these people to I be know. found. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just part of his sick and twisted like desire for attention that he probably never got when he was younger. That's like his true. father didn't give him the attention he wanted. He got bullied at school. He wants someone to notice him. And even though he was his mother doted on him, apparently it's yeah. It's just you need more than that in most scenarios, especially when you have an abusive father at home. So so. She was found uh, like two months after she had actually been killed. And this was kind of the first one that he didn't follow his usual train of killing where he would do the hammer and the slashing. She was, she was rather her hair. She had horse hair stuffed down her throat, apparently. What hair? Horse hair. Where'd you get that from? I have no idea. From a horse. Oh. You just had a traveling companion horse, I guess. Oh, my God. So that's what one article said. She had horse hair stuffed down her throat, and she was beaten to death by a boulder. So he just took what? a giant rock and just beat her to death with it. Jeez. So this was pretty much the first one that he didn't use the typical hammer or knife. So I don't know if he had solicited her and wasn't able to get back to his car where he was holding that stuff and just mm-hmm. decided to use whatever he had on hand. But it's just another tip as to how more how much more bold and kind of unhinged he's getting so mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a nap flying around in the basement evan has been trying to kill it literally this entire time i've had a couple swipes <laughs> I, I chose the wrong day to start drinking white claws yeah fruity right. nice sugary drink for a them. nice uh, lemon white claw <laughs> i'm very much out of beer just for the listeners i know i brought oh look a, <laughs> now oh, i have look, a, cor- a beer <laughs> I have a core on the cop. <laughs> so like I said, there was two that he had murdered in the span of 10 days. And less than two weeks after that, 18-year-old Helen Ritka. It's just the, the ages of these people, too. Yeah, like, it's just so sad. Why can't they be older? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's like all of them are like under 30 years old for the most part, aside from a couple where mm-hmm. Irene Richardson, I believe, or Emily Jackson was 42. But it's just... It's so sad to see that these girls had to resort to going out and doing this kind of work at that age to yeah. try and support themselves because a lot of these younger women even had uh, one or two kids at home. So yeah. it's it's just very sad circumstances all around that led them to be in this situation. And again, to drive the fact like there were no jobs in this area. Yeah, like every there's honestly, I think one description was like it was essentially a ghost town of abandoned factories. Yep, exactly. And then this Red Lion district. Yep. Wasn't good. So, 18-year-old Helen Ritka, she fell victim to the Yorkshire Ripper, and he was back to his trusted hammer and knife combination. But this time, he was even more aggressive, and he sexually assaulted her as well. So, this is one of two that he'll be credited for as sexual assaults, and this is surprisingly the more tame one than the one that we'll get to in a little bit. But once, like I said, it's just escalation after escalation as he doesn't get caught. So the last murder of 1978 was that of Vera Millward. 
and she was killed in the parking lot of Manchester Royal Infirmary, which is just that's a such a public spot to yeah. go out and do something like this. Mm-hmm. Granted, it was at night, and there probably wasn't a ton of streetlights, but still, you're doing it in a public parking lot, which is just insane how he's getting away with doing all of this, and there's really there's leads, but I mean, they just have the sketch that who knows if that's actually accurate because they don't know who it is. They're just going off of one person's word on it, and then the boot print and the tire marks, so. It's just not, it's granted, I will give the police that there really was not a whole lot to go on with what they had on hand, but. Yeah, I mean, the technology just really wasn't there for them to properly analyze the actual clues that they had in front of them. Um, but you will go probably more in depth on the investigation and how many yeah. times they interviewed him and, and all that. But Oh, yeah. All right, so we're getting to be a, a little long. I swear, I just <laughs> we're we're going to be a little Sorry. long on time here. So I think we're gonna we're gonna cut it here and then come back uh, next week with part two, and we'll cover the rest of his crimes and then the subsequent investigation and the the letter and the tape that were sent to the police and a lot of other very annoying stuff oh, yeah. that goes on. So, but. Thank you guys for listening to this first part. Thank you, Drew, for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me on, guys. It's really fun. I like uh, <laughs> the crime. Dip your toes in the podcast oh, world. Yeah. This is fun. I listen to it every week. And I was addicted. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll have Drew back for part two so we can continue uh, this story with him as our guest host. So Thank you, guys. Expect that for next week. But that's all we got for now. So, Evan, you want to plug our good old social medias? yes uh one second you would think since it's episode 26 i would have them memorized (laughs) um even though i'm pretty sure 20 out of 26 i've said them wrong but regardless you can find us on twitter at the gems of history at jump (laughs) (laughs) at gems underscore history on twitter and then on instagram at gems underscore of underscore history of (laughs) podcast just it's just gems of history podcast with underscores in between that's a lot easier way to say <laughs> i just like to see you struggle through saying all the underscores every time yeah, right <laughs> um you find me at whatevskis at jacob at at jacob from wisco on twitter and at that shop guy for on uh instagram and you're not gonna find me on there so maybe tiktok <laughs> <laughs> You can write uh, Drew a very in-depth letter at... (laughs) Yes, list address here. (laughs) Address, social, place Credit card number. I mean, just while you're here. We ask all of our guests this. (laughs) So yeah, go follow us on those. Shout us out. Hang out with us on there. Uh, Email us at gemsofhistorypodcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch there. Send us some of your stories. Send us some suggestions for any uh, future topics or anything that maybe we we missed on one of these episodes that we can mention later on. Uh, But those are the places you can contact us. Mm -hmm. And we will be back next week with Drew again for part two of the Yorkshire Ripper. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But until then, we hope you guys all have a great week. And we will talk to you guys in a week about this good old topic that we got going on now. So until then. That's all we got. Talk to you guys later. Later, guys.